Well, God, your word is uh, living and active. Your word uh, can and, and will do a work in our hearts. So I just pray this morning that we would uh, open our, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us, and you would open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word that um, all that you would like to say to us this morning, we would be attentive uh, as you speak through your word, as you uh, speak into our lives and into our world, that we are not just people who read words on a page, but we uh, want to hear from you. And so, God, we are coming this morning asking you to speak. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In Mark chapter 4, uh, most uh, a common uh, name for this section is the parable of the sower. Uh, but it could better be called the parable of the soils. It's mainly about the four soils. There's one sower that there's no variation in. There's one seed there's no variation in. But there is four soils that are dramatically different in what they look like and how they respond to that seed. This is the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils. Let me read it for you. Mark chapter 4, this is God's word. It says, Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since there was no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he, when he was alone with those around him and with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that... They may indeed see, but not perceive, and indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower uh, sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, uh, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others uh, are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world... And the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown into good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the work of God and the word of God. 
It's in the, it's one of my favorite parables, I think. I might say that a hundred times as we preach through Mark. But this is one of my favorite parables. Um, because it gives a real good uh, picture into the heart of man. And really the heart response to the gospel. And, and how we can kind of understand why it is that some people just can hear about the love of Christ. Can hear about the goodness of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, and yet be unmoved. Or why others might have seemed to be like flourishing for a time, but now deny Jesus altogether. This parable explains those hearts. In this passage, for all recipients of the gospel, there's four heart responses. There's a hard heart. There's a shallow heart. There's a divided heart. And there's an open heart. The incredible thing about the heart in all of these circumstances is... The soil didn't prepare itself. So that's a good thing to remember. The soil, the, the good soil, did not prepare itself. It was the farmer who prepared it. And just because there is rocky soil does not mean that there is no future for that rocky soil. Just because there was seed sown among the hard ground doesn't mean it can't be broken up. Here is incredible Jesus teaching by the side of the sea. And remember uh, earlier where he said, hey, you might have to have a boat ready in case they crush me. Well, now, it says, beside the sea, a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat. They were there ready to crush him and touch him and want healing and and seek to just to be near him and, and have his breath go over them so they might be healed. And he said, now's not the time. I have something important to say. I have a, a parable to tell you to see if you would comprehend it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, you won't hear me if you're, everyone's pressing in and, and falling over each other to get to me. So he got on the boat, a nat- natural amplification system, and the people who were beside uh, the sea were on the land. And verse 2 says, He was teaching them many things in parables. And so then what is a parable? A parable is a picture. A word picture that uh, as you look and you listen and you chew on this parable, the picture becomes a mirror. It's not just like, oh, that's a nice story over there. A parable is a story that begins to uh, go into your own heart and say, hey, this is saying something about me or about my response to God or my understanding about God or anything of those matters. A parable becomes a mirror. And a mirror that ought to change us, that ought to do something in us, that as it's exposing us, sometimes it changes us, sometimes it helps explain us. But it's a mirror. And it's interesting because many times as Jesus preached in parables, people would end up angry because the mirror exposed them, right? Like you think of King, one of the greatest parables, I think, in the Bible is not in the New Testament. It's Nathan and King David, right, where he tells him the parable and, and David's just fuming, at this parable, that guy's so wrong. And Nathan turns around and says, it's you. The picture became a mirror and David was broken. He, he saw it. He, he didn't even see his own sinfulness until a parable was held up in front of him. A, a word picture, a story. So Jesus did that constantly. Held up these stories and those who had ears to hear and minds to comprehend would say, well, that actually means something to me. That actually is more than just a nice story that, that maybe was even applicable at that moment, that season where they sat on this beside the sea. They could have looked off in the far distance seeing people sowing. 
it was more than just a story, but okay, nice, Jesus. Like, let's get on with other things. Like, we want to be healed, and you're telling us about some fictitious sower who went out to sow what seed? We don't know, but we know that some of it failed. And so the incredible thing about this parable is it's not the seed that failed, is it? That's not the sower that failed. But it's the ground and the, the preparedness of the ground that really impacts what happens to the seed. There is no variation in the sower. It's one sower, and he made no mistake as to where that seed landed. It was not a mistake. And there was um, one type of seed. It wasn't that, that some of that seed was bad, and that's why it didn't produce any fruitfulness in the end. It was the same seed. But there was four types of hearts. As Jesus goes on to explain, this is a parable of hearts, a story about hearts. It's not about ground. It's about a heart, a hard heart, a shallow heart, a divided heart, and an open heart. He says there in verse 3, listen. Some of you are here just to see a sign. Some of you are here just for healing. Some of you are here just to feel good. But listen. He says, listen. Behold. And then he goes on into this parable. He just tells the parable as it is. Incredible, though, what this sower is. What the sower is that here he explains in the parable later when he says the sower sowed the word. Well, he doesn't explain what the sower is. The sower is anyone who proclaims the good news of, of God, proclaims the gospel of God, myself, every believer who ought to be telling others about the love of the Lord Jesus. That's the sower. And the sower has one main job, to sow. He, he says it, it's incredible. The sower went out to sow. Like the sower did not go out to make a name for himself. The sower didn't go out to show off. The sower went out to do his job, to sow. He went out to sow the seed, to, to, to spread it, to, to do his one thing. It's incredible because it was not the sower's job to prepare the soil. It wasn't his job in this moment, in this story, to be preparing the soil or, or selecting the right soil. Like, okay, well, I got to make sure, oh, that, I think it's got some rocks there. I better not throw some seed there. Oh, that looks a little bit hard. It wasn't his job. It was his job to sow and to spread the word. That was the sower's job. That's your job and my job. Because, and it's incredible, and it's really uh, relieving in one sense, because we don't know the condition of anyone's heart, Right? We don't know if it's a hard heart or shallow heart or a heart that's like just caught up in a million other things. And if we spend our time so busy trying to figure out and judge every other person's heart, we're just going to withhold the word from them? We're going to withhold the gospel from them and, and not share the love of the Lord Jesus with them? Well, they're a hard-hearted person. They can't feel anything. Well, I'm not that type of person. They're not going to be receptive to the word. So, and obviously, you know, we have to be wise with our time and our resources and our relationships but it's not our place to judge the heart of a person. Our job as sowers is to sow, to spread far and wide the seed, which is the word of God. He sowed and he explains the parable just as a story. And then verse 9, incredibly, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. They all had ears. They all had ears. There was, there, it would have been noted if there was someone there without ears. Maybe they were there for their ears to be repaired. 
But he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And they could all hear. Maybe some were deaf, maybe not. But ears are for hearing. But there's a difference, as you know, if you're married, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Right? We all know that. We've gotten ourselves in trouble. Because we hear, we do not listen. But sometimes we don't have the ability to listen. He's talking here is more than just like, oh yeah, listen to my words. And you could repeat the words back to him all day long. This was a deeper thing. It's more than just hearing. It's more than even just listening to him. It's internalize what I'm saying. If you have ears to hear, take this in, soak this up, and let it examine you. That's what it means. And the incredible thing is the word if. If you have ears to hear, if you have the ability to soak this in, hear me. And then he goes on to say that there's some who can't hear him, some who will not. He begins this by saying, listen. So he's telling everybody to listen up. And so they do. Everybody's, we assume they're quiet. All right, if we just listen, then he'll heal us after. So they listen. But then he says, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Like, pay attention, internalize this. But he goes on to tell us uh, in verse uh, 12 that there are some who, in, even though they see, they can't perceive it. And even though they hear, they don't understand or they cannot comprehend it. He says, you know how we know that? Because if they did hear it, if they did see it and perceive it, if they did hear it and understand it, he says, lest they should turn and be forgiven. If they perceived it, if they understood the word of God, if it really was internalized in their heart, if it wasn't just ears that are hearing or even paying attention, but if it was internalized, then he says the result of that internalizing the word of God is turning. It is repenting of a life of, of self-reliance and sin and religion, turning from that and trusting and being forgiven. Forgiveness here, obviously, in Jesus is saying, it's not like, oh, turn to religion and be forgiven or turn to more laws and be forgiven. See, they would turn from themselves. They would turn from their sin and they would be forgiven if they heard, if they perceived, if they saw, they would repent. He says, not all do that. So if you have ears to hear, there's some who were there who, who were paying attention, who were listening to his words, who could even say it back. But as we read from Scripture, even the devil can quote Scripture. Even the devil can quote, so someone can hear and, and memorize for Pete's sake. But have they internalized it? Do they have ears to hear? Have they internalized the word of God? As it is to us, all of it, the entire thing, not just this parable, the entire word of God is a mirror to us. It is showing us how we are not like God. That's really the point of the whole Bible. It is to show you the beauty of God and how you were supposed to be made in his image, but yet you were so tarnished and stained and so far and so broken from God. He who has ears to hear can only hear that and only have eyes to see to perceive that, that I'm not like God and I should be. I'm not near God and I should be. The whole word of God is to do that to us. So then we ask, well, how then must I be saved? How then must I be repaired? Why should I not be like that image? That's what the Bible shows us and exposes in us and gives us the answer to. Turn, turn and be forgiven. Trust in him. That's the answer. That's the point of parables. That's the point of the whole Bible. He says, listen, 
If you have ears to hear, hear it. And it's amazing to me, looking back at verse 11 there, where he says, um, to those, uh, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. It's just, it's still a story. But to you, if, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, if God has granted you the ability to, to see and comprehend and internalize, like what a gift. Like Thank God for that in itself. That There are some people outside who can't see it. You can preach about Jesus until you're blue in the face. You can tell them how he forgave them until you're blue in the face. But they're outside and they, they can't hear it. They can't see it. And the amazing thing is, every single one of us was there. Every one of us. There was a point in our lives where you know, we had no ears to hear and no eyes to see. No hearts to comprehend. Where we did not repent. And incredibly that still plagues us in small ways, right? Where we don't hear sometimes and we disobey. And we sin against God. But here he says, you've been given the secret of the kingdom. The, the trust in, in, in him to be a citizen of this kingdom, the way of the kingdom of God is not through something man-made or a religion, but it's been given to you. So be grateful for it. Because if it's been given to you and if you perceive it and if you understand it, you will be forgiven. That's an incredible weight lifted. Forgiveness. Sometimes the, the hardest thing that we can't and often we think about this is we can't even forgive ourselves for things we've done wrong, right? To, to other people or in this world or to, against God, we just have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And that's not the point. We don't need to forgive ourselves. God needs to forgive us. And Scripture says we have forgiveness in Christ. He accomplished it. He, he is sufficient for the task at hand. If you turn and be forgiven. And Jesus goes on to explain this parable, showing really... That only one of these hearts is truly receptive and, and, and fruitful in an understanding of the gospel. He goes on to explain his parable. Look at um, first verse 14. He tells us what this, the seed is. He says it's the word. The sower sows the word. That is the word of God, the message of God, the gospel of God. He sows the word of God. And then verse 15, he, he begins to explain the first heart, the first person. These are the ones along the path, along the hard path, the hard-hearted person. He says, it's where the word is sown. They've, they've heard the gospel. They've heard that Jesus would love them and forgive them. But when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word from them. And it's not implanted down deep in them at all. It doesn't even impact them. It doesn't affect them at all. The, the word has been said to them, but it's almost like it bounces off. And you see the, the, the terrifying reality here is that Satan, the enemy, is so quick to devour. So ready to take away the word of God. And, and you know that even as a Christian, right? Like if you're encouraged by something in the faith or you're, you, know, you hear the word of God preached, how quickly does the enemy want to distract you from the word? Or take away the truth or make you forget the truth and make you just, you know, focus on yourself again or, or be in the self-loathing pity rather than 
celebratory forgiveness. The, the enemy is so quick to attack. Immediately, Satan comes and plucks that gospel message, the word of hope, away from a person so it didn't even impact them. This is a person with a hard, calloused heart. A calloused heart, a heart of stone that is unresponsive to the gospel, unresponsive to the love of Jesus, to the, the death of Christ, to the weight of their sin against God. Unresponsive. They're calloused. Maybe a person with a dead moral compass. They don't think anything's wrong. and It just keeps getting worse. It's a person unmoved by anything related to God. John Piper points out three ways his heart um, can be so hard. One way is through inattention. Does, does, doesn't care to pay attention to the word of God. When the word of God is spoken to them, maybe you know people like this in your life, you want to talk about God and they just lack any sort of interest in it. Inattention. They don't want to pay attention. Even if they sat in church, they'd be thinking about the stained glass windows or something else. They just have no desire to pay attention. It's because of a hardness of their heart. Another type of hardness of heart is an ill will. People who might go to church only to nitpick, only to pick apart other Christians or pick apart the pastor or pick apart the Bible version or whatever. They're just, they're just ill-willed, ready to pick apart and attack Christians or the Christian faith. It's a hard heart. And you have like people who obviously have like atheist ministries trying to destroy the Christian faith. They're ill will. Uh, they're against God. But they're hard in their hearts. And then there's ignorance. Just plain blindness. People just don't see, can't see. Just ignorant. It's just no ability to comprehend and let it soak in. So inattention, ill will, ignorance are all um, various ways of the evidence of a hard heart. A hard heart is a terrifying place to be terrifying. Romans 2 verse 5 says, but because of your hard and impenitent or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. A hard heart is an unrepentant heart. It's not a heart that is sorry to God. It is not a heart that is sorry for its sin. It's not a heart that even wants to change because it doesn't think it needs to change. And scripture says that person is storing up wrath against themselves. And because they have a hard heart, they don't care. It's a, it's a terrifying place to be. But does this hard heart mean that we lose hope on, on family members and friends who maybe you, you see like the word just bouncing right off them? Or maybe they're even uh, opposing the word? They get angry when you talk about the word? They, they um, forbid you to speak about the faith? Is this... Someone you know, is there any hope for a person of hard-heartedness? Of course. Of course, Jeremiah 23, 29, God says, Is not my word like fire and like a hammer which breaks the rock? A heart may be hard as a stone, but he can break it. He can break it. We can't. You can try to argue until you have ran out of arguments. But hard heart won't change. Try to do all the persuasion, all the flashiness. Useless. God must break a heart of stone. God must replace a heart of stone. So when you consider those who seem to be so hardened against God, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. 
Because the gospel, according to Romans 1.16, that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God. The power of God that created the cosmos. That power on an unbeliever. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The hardest of hearts has no comparison to the power of God. Don't lose hope, but pray. Then there's the second heart, a shallow heart. Verse 16 says, And there are those who were sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves. So first, even there, there's a person, and and the picture is this, this seed gets into the soil a little bit. The soil's not very deep, but it sprouts up because of the heat. And it sprouts up, and it seems to appear like it, it is a Christian, someone who's embraced the faith, who's like showing up and serving and doing whatever for a time and season, and they look like they've embraced it. But he says something happens that kind of reveals what really is deeper. He says they have no root in themselves. There's no root system. They will only endure for a while, he says. And then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately they fall away. They endure for a while. And so sometimes the question is asked, you know, if you think of loved ones even, you think like, oh yeah, but they embraced the faith, they came to Jesus, they they lived like they came to church, and now now what? Now they're nothing. Is there? And you think, did they ever believe? Did they ever believe? And here, the text says there was no root. There was no genuine belief. There was no union with Christ, no real relationship. There was an emotionalism. There was a shallow response to a a feel-good moment, a feel-good message, an escape plan for a time. Like, that just sounds like something I need. That just sounds exciting. It sounds good. And so this person embraces the faith, calls himself a Christian, lives like a Christian, does their thing for a while, but then when it says, when persecution comes, when the sun comes out, things get hot. But here's the interesting thing. It says, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. So it doesn't mean when trials come in their lives, then they leave the faith. That sometimes happens. They say, you know what? God clearly doesn't love me. There's no way he's real. That happens in some people. But here it's on account of the word. When they get pressed about the reality of hell, about the uh, stance of God on marriage, about all these things. When, they, when On account of the word, they get squeezed to say, are you sure you really believe that? A gun held to their head. Do you believe that you need Jesus alone? When the pressure is on, if it's illegal for you to have a Bible in your home, pressure is on. On account of the word, there's tribulation that comes. These people, because there is no real deep-rooted system, fall over. It's like a tree with shallow roots, right? The wind comes, what happens to the tree? falls over. We need a deep-rooted system. If you know the, the allegory of the Pilgrim's Progress, this character is pliable. He embraced Christian's message. Christian says, hey, come with me. And pliable says, yeah, that sounds all great. Sounds like it suits me. Sounds like a wonderful journey. We're going to the celestial kingdom. That sounds great. I'm going to join you. And he joins Christian in this journey, but then they come to a slough of despond where they're stuck in mire and muck. And you know what Pliable says? This is not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for hardship and trial. I didn't sign up. I signed up for 
peaches and sugar and all things good. And this is what you think the Christian faith is. So what does Pliable do? He turns back. He says, enough's enough. I'm not sticking with you, Christian. Now, he's just going to do whatever makes him feel good in the moment. But he embraced it for a while. So people would have walked along and said, hey, look at those two guys. And they said, yeah, we're both Christians. And then trial came to Pliable and he said, no, enough. This is not for me. Because he had no root. He had no root, a system that went far beyond the surface, far beyond the circumstance, far beyond the moment or the trial. It was a deep-rooted system. That's what's in a Christian. There's no deep root tapping into the nourishment provided by God. The, the union with Christ, being with him, no matter what trial comes, there's a deep root that is going to flourish. People who are impulse-buying the faith. Ah, yeah, in the moment wrapped up in it but yet there's no genuine faith there's no deep relationship with jesus there's no pursuit of jesus when no one's looking that's what happens to some which is it's really sad because they seem to appear and then you know some people who, who've been told well if you just pray the sinner's prayer then you're good forever it, that these people say oh i prayed the sinner's prayer i did the thing and i went to church for a season 20 years later, it doesn't really matter, right? I've prayed a sinner's prayer. I'm good to go. Well, well, no. There's no root. And only those with a root will last. Only those with a root produce fruit of faith and belief in Jesus, a real relationship, and the very thing you need for heaven. So it's terrifying when people have this moment in their lives without a deepness of the root of the faith. Emotionalism. A shallow heart. The next, then, is a divided heart. Verse 18. There are those who mong, sown among the thorns, those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is a picture of a person trying to hold on to God and the world. All the things that I still want to be and still want to like. And I, I don't want to change too much. But I also want God. I also want the security of heaven. I want the forgiveness of my sins. I want, I want both worlds. You can't have both. A person who is uh, just overwhelmed by the cares of this world, it first says. Anxieties, concerns. I need to control every situation because maybe I don't trust God will control the situation. Wrapped up. So full of anxiety. That's the cares of the world. Or secondly, this person has uh, wrapped up in the deceitfulness of riches, idolizing the pursuit of excess. It's just more and more and more I want to consume because that's where I'm happy and I have pleasure. Seeking amusement, thing after thing after thing. And it chokes out the word. Or the person who, it says, desires for other things doesn't desire for Christ alone as the sufficient, uh, all-sustaining being in their life. They desire for other things. He's not enough, is what they would say. He's not enough. I need Jesus plus my own religion to make sure that I feel good or to make sure that I, I'm, I'm set. I need Jesus plus I'm going to dabble in some new age stuff. I need Jesus plus whatever it may be. To bring me joy. These people are wrapped up and devoured by the thorns. And because of that, no fruit comes. 
The scary thing with these thorns and these cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches is sometimes they enter in unannounced, right? Like a plant can be sprouting up at the same time as a weed and, and it might go unnoticed. It might go unnoticed and uncared for. It seems, oh, it's just bit by bit. It seems harmless. The desires of the world just seem harmless. The, the divided heart seems kind of harmless. I can still have this and I can still have these joys and Jesus. I can still be me and have Jesus. Well, it seems harmless for a time until it chokes out the word. It, it blinds the person from the gospel. It blinds them from the truth and, and from obedience. And it proves, it says, it proves or it shows itself to be unfruitful. That the gospel bears no fruit in their lives because it's absolutely choked out. There's no genuine repentance or turning. There's no real love or desire for Jesus. There's no desire to please him. There's no contentment or joy in knowing him. And there's no hope of a future with him. That's this person who is choked out by the cares of the world. But in Luke 13, 3, it says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You can turn from that. You can turn from that. You can be put into solid ground if you repent. If you repent, then that's the, the fruit of, of being in good soil. Have God tear away all the things that have choked you out. If you repent, you trust what Jesus has done is sufficient, that he alone can forgive your sin, so that he alone can die for your sin. And then that's where those, this last group of soil, the last heart, the open heart, comes in. Verse 20. But those who are sown in, in good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. Accept it. Believe it. Trust it. Rely fully on it. The word of God. And it bears fruit. It bears fruit. In Colossians chapter 1, when, when Paul is opening up his letter to the church at Colossae, he says, you know, uh, I've heard that the, the, the gospel is bearing fruit among you, as indeed it is in the whole world for everyone who has heard and received it. If you receive the gospel, it does bear fruit. It bears fruit of repentance. bears fruit of obedience, of a love for God, of a desire for him, of a desire for others to know the same truth and forgiveness. Bears fruit of you reconciling with other people. Bears fruit of good deeds. The gospel, when truly transformed, is not all of those things that you do to try to please God and try to earn God's favor and his, his affection on you. But instead you realize you were filthy and you were unworthy and he accepted you anyways. And then your life is transformed and you just want to live for him. As a result, you want to live for him out of love and out of desire. It's incredible here because at the end where it says it does bear fruit, but it bears fruit differently. 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. It's various. Among other Christians, you have some Christians who are really fruitful in their telling others about Jesus. Or, and here's a reminder just in a moment, that fruitfulness doesn't mean that you have seen someone come to faith because of what you said. Remember, fruitfulness and, and obedience is you telling others. Some have been able to tell a hundred, and some of those hundred seeds have taken root. Some have been able to tell two. But it does bear fruit of you sharing. Uh, obviously, as 
Um, Jesus sent out his disciples as he was about to leave them. He sent them out with the Great Commission to go into all nations and, and take this gospel. This is the job of his disciples. We are to be sowers. We are to sow the seed. We are not, it is not our job to uh, examine the hearts of people. It's not our job to prepare the soil. That's God's job. It is our job to, in faith, sow, sow, sow. Generously sow. Share the word of God so much. And it doesn't mean you're always having to say, okay, I need to have this conversation with you about the steps of salvation and every single day. Sow what God is doing in you. So the, the attributes of God that he has, he has communicated to you, mercy and love and forgiveness, sow those, spread those, share them. Share the character of God with people. Call people, yes, at points to repentance. Call people to trust in Jesus. Our job is to pray for the soil, to pray for those hearts that are hard and shallow and divided, to pray for good soil, that God would prepare hearts. That God would continue to cultivate our heart and prune what he needs to prune in our lives that we might bear fruit. It's an incredible parable of hearts. And the question for us is not to say, well, which heart am I? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus, at this point you can in faith say, I am this heart that he has prepared good soil in and I'm thankful. Our job is to, if you have ears to hear, hear it. Embrace his word, internalize his word, and see maybe even how you've thought about other people in their uh, cares of this world or in their shallowness of faith even. Pray. Pray that God would do a work on their hearts. Pray that the soil would be prepared by him to receive the word. And that's the thing. Our job is not just to give one seed at one point and say, well, it didn't take. I'm never going back there again. God may at one point till up that hard land. You go back and again and again and you sow the seed of the gospel there because you don't know one day if God has opened up that land, if God has opened up that heart to finally hear, to finally perceive and receive the word. How sad would it be if a heart had been prepared and yet you, you felt the need never to return because you tried. You tried five years ago. You told them and they, they pushed. So you said, I'm not never talking to them about Jesus again. Sad would it be, a prepared land that could be fruitful and won't be. So our job then is to just sow generously because we have been generously gifted the ability to hear and understand and comprehend and, and have God transforming our hearts and lives. If we would have turned and repented and been forgiven, then we invite others to do the same. It's a simple task. And it's a task that is done in faith and with joy because we're not the ones who have prepared the soil we're not the ones who uh, make sure that that plant grows. But yet we get to take part in sowing the seed. So let us take part, hey, even this week as we go. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you have made uh, this way. Uh, a way for um, hearts that are all hard at one point. Hearts that are so torn and divided. Hearts that are uh, maybe impulse and looking for a quick fix. God, that you're the one, if we have embraced the faith, if we have trusted in Christ to forgive us, we have looked to you, that you're the one who did that work in us. We're so thankful. And we want others to see and know and behold. So God, we are asking that in, we have people on our hearts and minds right now 
And we want you to prepare their hearts, to prepare that soil. And then we want to be obedient as sowers. We want to take the word and and not judge their hearts and not assume we know them like you do. We just want to be faithful. God, thank you so much that you do this work. So you deserve the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.